0: All right. Was that a cool little intro video? After the Thursday service, several people asked me, where did you guys get that cool video at the beginning of the thing? And uh, did you guys make that? No, we didn't make that one. Um, sometimes we buy the background slides and stuff that we use in sermons from these companies that make media for churches. And on this particular slide that we liked for Joshua, um, they had this cool little video that we could buy for a couple of bucks. And so we uh, we got the video along with the slides this time. So but that's going to show at the beginning of all these sermons as we're doing this uh, new series on Joshua. We really liked what it had to say and how it really uh, captured the, the, the uh, goals that we have for this series on Joshua, to strengthen our faith and to learn to, to go further with God. So um, we're going to spend the next couple of months studying the book of Joshua And uh, some of you might be like uh, Naomi from last week, and all you know about Joshua has to do with French peas, and Jimmy and Jerry wanting to blow up Jericho with the Walmanator 3000 rocket. And I'm sure some of you know more about Joshua than that, and I'm sure some of you forgot that the Gord brothers wanted to use a rocket to blow up Jericho. But um, however much you know about Joshua now, uh, you're going to know more soon. And uh, because here's the thing, God is... Calling you to have a deeper faith and to be strong and courageous and to trust Him like never before. And our prayer is that this study of the book of Joshua will inform and inspire you to that deeper, stronger, and more courageous faith. And since the first uh, section of the book of Joshua is an introduction to the book, we're just going to get right into the introduction to Joshua here in the text. So, Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1, it says this, "'After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun,' Moses' aid, said, "'Moses, my servant, is dead. "'Now then, you and all these people "'get ready to cross the Jordan River "'into the land I'm about to give to them, "'to the Israelites.'" So why does does God start off by telling Joshua that Moses is dead? Because Joshua actually already knows that. In fact, this comes right at the end of a 30-day period of mourning that the nation has just completed, uh, mourning over the death of their leader Moses, who was the one who had brought them out of slavery, taught them about God and how to serve and worship Him, and led them to the border of the land that God had promised to give them. So, why does God begin by telling Joshua that Moses is dead? Because Joshua is the one who is now going to take over from Moses and lead God's people. And our whole passage today is a speech that God makes to Joshua to kind of prepare him for this role as the new leader as he takes over the mantle from Moses. And so, God's first instruction to Joshua is that he and the people need to get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land that I am about to give them. So the people have been living a uh, semi nomadic lifestyle in the desert of Sinai for about the last 40 years. But in the last few years, they have moved up from the desert um, and led them right up to the Jordan River, which defined the border of the land of promise, the land that God had promised to give them. And then in the next couple of verses, that idea is repeated that God is going to give his people this land. So verses, uh, starting with verse 3 here, it says, "'I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon, So there's a few things in there, but uh, the, the first I want to talk a little bit about uh, the idea that God has promised to give this land to uh, these people. And it is important for us to understand the, the historical moment here and the significance of uh, in the biblical story of where we are at this point in, in the biblical story. So we need to go back... To when this first promise, or when this promise was first made, to uh, Abraham, back in the book of Genesis, um, when God first called Abraham, he was living in a place called Ur. Funny name, but that was a major city in those days. In fact, it was it was one of the largest cities in the world, and in one of the most uh, uh, sophisticated and developed portions of the earth. In what is today southern Iraq. And God told Abraham to leave his home there and go to a new place. And God didn't tell him what the destination was at the beginning. He just said, go. And I'll tell you uh, on the way which way to go and and where to to settle along the way. And, uh, And he would find out where he was going later. And Abraham trusted God. Abraham said, okay, God, I don't even need to know all the details. I'm just going to follow your instruction. Even if I don't understand, even if I don't know where I'm going, I'm just going to go. And so he courageously obeyed God. And he lived a semi-nomadic lifestyle for the rest of his days. He lived in tents and traveled from place to place. And after some time, he made it to the land of Canaan, where he then, he still was kind of nomadic in that he would move around Canaan, but he wasn't moving great distances. He was just kind of moving around in the Canaan area. So he had kind of settled in that area. And it was then, when he was living there, that God spoke to Abraham again and made him some promises that we call the Abrahamic Covenant. And this is from Genesis chapter 17. And here is what God said to Abraham in Genesis 17. It says, when Abram, his name was Abram at this point, God changed his name to Abraham uh, later on, so he's Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between you, or between me and you, and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And then he said, I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner... I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. And so God has told Abraham, in a little in another section there, that he would, himself would die without taking possession of the land. And he told him the reason. He said, because, quote, the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached their full measure. The Amorites were the people who were living in the land of Canaan uh, in Abraham's time. And God said, their sin has not yet reached its full measure. So you will not get the land. But later, you will, or your descendants will. And God repeated that promise to Abraham's son, Isaac, But he also died without taking possession of the land. And his son Jacob was also promised the land by God. And he also died without ever taking possession of the land. In fact, in Jacob's final days, he and all his family moved to Egypt. And it was actually in Egypt where they were given land. They were given the land of Goshen by the pharaoh of Egypt, and they settled there and lived there for quite a few generations. And it was in Egypt that the family of Abraham grew to be a nation. And uh, But the initial goodwill that the Egyptians had there when they gave them the land, and, and Joseph was a ruler in Egypt and all those things, but that did not last. And after some time, the Israelites were made slaves there in Egypt. But then after, after some more time passed, God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt. And then there was all the miracles of the Exodus, the the crossing of the Red Sea, the manna in the wilderness, uh, God causing water to come from the the rock, um, and all these things as they they, uh, left slavery in Egypt. And they were on their way at that point to the land that God had promised to give them. But there was something very important they needed to do along the way. And so God led them on a bit of a long road so they could go to Mount Sinai on the way, which was some, some uh, miles out of the direct path. And God, at Mount Sinai, God revealed himself to his people. And he did this through thunder and lightning and darkness and storm and, and, uh, and all kinds of things. And also by giving them the Ten Commandments, and the rest of the law as a written uh, document that they could then use to show them how God wanted them to uh, live as his new nation. And this law included a history of God and his people up to that point, including things like the story of creation and uh, the story of Noah and the call of their ancestor Abraham that we just read about, and even the recent history of their departure from Egypt was all written down um, during this time when they were at Mount Sinai. And it also included about uh, all kinds of instructions about how they were supposed to live as the chosen nation that worshiped the one true God. There were instructions about how to set up priests and altars and sacrifices, instructions about religious festivals that they were supposed to keep, instructions about how to treat one another in a way that is holy and righteous. There were laws about economics, laws about marriage, laws about crime, laws about giving support to the worship of God at the tabernacle. And all of these laws are all mixed together. There's no separate sections dealing with, here's the civil laws, here's the ceremonial laws, here's the religious laws, uh, here's the economic rules. Everything is all just one book of the law, and it's all combined, because God did not make any differentiation in our lives. He didn't say, okay, yeah, you have this segment of your life, that's your work life. This segment over here, that's your family life. And then over here, you have your religious life. No, God doesn't see your life as divided up like that. It's all your life, and all of it is to be lived for God and according to God's ways of doing things. And so that was the way he presented the, uh, the law to them at Mount Sinai. And, uh, and many of these laws that were given to the people at Sinai assumed that the people are living in the land that they've been promised. These laws don't really fit their life out in the desert or their life back in Egypt. It's, it's a, a description of rules and, and ways to live when you are settled in towns and cities and farming uh, the land. And, uh, and that's because the law was anticipating that God was about to give them this land. They would soon be in possession of the land of Canaan. So when they're done there at Mount Sinai, then they leave there and they head to the promised land. And when they get close to the edge of the desert, Moses sends 12 spies to gather intelligence uh, so that they can plan the invasion of the land. And it does not go well. The spies come back, and, uh, and 10 of the spies, this is their report. They said, quote, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. And they discouraged the people from thinking that they could really be successful in attacking this place. Um, It says in the Bible, but the, uh, no, then Joshua and Caleb, Joshua and Caleb were two of the the spies, right? Same Joshua that our book is named for. He was one of the the 12 spies and his friend Caleb, they were the only two who believed God and trusted him. And they said, um, look, yes, the people there are strong, but God is on our side. Um, But, Here's what the Bible says. It says, But the men who had gone up with them said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same. To them, and the majority of the people were siding with the ten, so much that they were on the verge of mutinying against Moses. And then it says in the Bible, Joshua the son of Nun, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land, and they tore their clothes, and they said to the entire Israelite assembly, "The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good." If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not be afraid of the people in the land, because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But, the people refused to listen to Joshua and Caleb. And they sided with the ten that said, it's too much, we can't do it. They chose not to believe that God was with them and would give them victory over the Canaanites. And they did not trust God's promise to give them the land. And so as a consequence, God declared, okay, none of you will enter the promised land. All the people who are adults at this point um, will die in the desert. And your children will go into the land after you have passed on. And that's exactly what happened. They lived in the desert for 40 years, living as nomads, traveling around in the desert, until all that generation died, except for three people, Joshua, Caleb, and Moses were still alive at the end of that 40 years. And now at the start of the book of Joshua, here they are, a new generation. And again, they have reached the border of the land, just like they had 40 years earlier. And God had sustained them all this time in the desert. He had provided the manna. He had done all kinds of things to help them to survive these 40 years and now they were ready to actually go in and take possession of the land. How long do you think it had been since God first told Abraham, this land where you are now living, I will give to your descendants? It was 600 years. 600 years from the initial promise to Abraham until Joshua is there, camped on the banks of the Jordan, ready to enter. It's been 40 years since the crossing of the Red Sea and the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. These people who are camped there had lived their entire lives in a holding pattern, waiting to enter the land, waiting for God to fulfill his promise. And now in our passage today, Joshua, or God tells Joshua, he says, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them. That is a a prime moment for those people. The the energy and the excitement, the time had finally come. God is about to make good on his promise that he'd made to their ancestors and to their descendants over all these years and centuries. And so God says uh, in verse 5, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. And that's a, the key phrase there is be strong and courageous. Uh, that's, of course, the title of our series, and it's the key uh, of all of Joshua, but it comes largely from this uh, speech that God gives here. Um, God repeats this word of encouragement two more times in the next verses. It's in in verse 6. He says, be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be strong and very courageous. And then verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So why does God emphasize so much uh, the, the, the strength and courage? Well, do you remember the report that the ten spies brought back about how the people of Canaan were so much bigger and stronger than they were? And, and, and especially, it, it was mentioned pretty briefly there, but they live in fortified cities. That means they're living in fortresses. The Israelites didn't have any means of attacking these fortresses, and there were dozens of them around the land of Canaan. And this was the situation that Joshua and the Israelites found themselves facing now. God had promised their ancestors that he would give them this land, and God had reiterated that promise to them. But the land was occupied by a superior military force. How were they supposed to take this land? Because there was a reason why those ten original spies didn't think that they could do it. So now here they are, facing basically the same situation as 40 years ago. Lopsided military situation, but a promise from God. And God knows that the people, and probably even Joshua himself, need to be reassured that God is really promising to do this for them. And then they need to have the strength and courage to believe God and to act on his promises, and if God does not come through for them, they're going to be annihilated. And so God says three times, be strong and courageous. Trust me. Have I not commanded you? I will do what I have promised to do. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, at this point in the story, we need to talk a little bit about uh, how we, as uh, Alaskans living in 2021, uh, rather than as Israelites living in 1400 BC, how are we supposed to understand these instructions and these stories that God is giving to Joshua and his people? Right? For them, it was really clear. God was saying, here's what you do. Get ready to cross this river that's right there. And they walk across the river and, and attack these people, and we go off and do And so for them, it was direct application of exactly what God was telling them to do. Um, but the application for us is not quite as obvious, right? And this is the way it is with all of the the, the stories of the Bible, especially these Old Testament stories, Um that happened many thousands of years ago, and we read them, and and, and what do we do with these stories? Um, We are not the children of the Exodus, who heard Moses give his farewell speech a few weeks ago. We are not God's chosen instrument to punish the Canaanites. So what do we do with these biblical stories? How are they relevant for our lives today? Well, one thing that these uh, stories uh, teach us and are, are helpful for us in is that biblical stories are examples to us of how God relates to his people. They show us what God is like and how he responds to the faithfulness and the unfaithfulness of people. This story tells us about how God kept his promise to punish sin and reward the faith of Abraham and his descendants. It tells us how the people needed God to reassure them and encourage them in order to follow his instructions. And the story tells us that God is faithful. He will do what he says he will do, even if he waits 600 years to do it. And knowing all these things about God should increase our faith in him. Right? Because we know that he kept his promises in the past, we can know that He will keep His promises in the future, too. And so we can praise and worship God for the things that He has done in the past. That means we can look back on the things that He's done for us in the past. You know, 10 years ago, God did this in my life, and I praise Him for it. Or it also means uh, for things that He has done for other people in the past. Stories we've heard from each other here in church, or even... Stories that happened many hundreds of years ago to, that are, are written for us in the Bible. It is good and profitable response for us to read these stories and to conclude, God is good. He deserves my worship for the great things that he has done for his people in the past. And the Bible actually contains many examples of this kind of worship. In the Psalms and in other places, the the, the The writers look back on the stories of what God has done in the past and praise God for it. So, for example, Psalm 98, it says this. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. And how much more do we have reason to praise things like that than the people did who wrote this psalm. We now have the full, complete revelation of his salvation through Christ and his work on the cross. Another application for us to learn from the examples uh, are the people in the stories. right? Uh, so in the biblical book of 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is talking about some of these stories from the Exodus, some of the things that happened to people along the way as they were coming up to uh, just before Joshua here. And he tells some stories, and then he says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. And then he gives a few examples um, of their sins that we should not imitate and the consequences of how those things happened. And, um, and so he says, you know, they set their hearts on On grumbling, and so some of them died, and they did these other things, and then this happened to them. And he gives these examples, and then he says a few verses down, he says these things happened to them as examples, and were written down as warnings for us, on whom the culmination of the ages comes. So here's Paul; he also is living many centuries after these stories that he's talking about. He's saying, why did these things happen? Why were they written down for us today? In Paul's day. And the same is still true for us. These things happened, these things were written down for us to learn from as examples for us. And of course, there's positive examples. Paul's speaking in that passage about some of the negative examples, but there's also really good things that people did. We'll see in the book of Joshua, for the most part, it's a positive uh, story of, of the success of God's people as they followed his commands. And we too can have Success as we follow his commands and we follow their examples of trusting in God. And that's what we're going to do with the stories as we go through Joshua. We're going to see God's great work on behalf of his people as reasons to praise and worship him. We're going to see the judgment on the Canaanites as reason to fear sin and its consequences. And we're going to see the failures of God's people to follow his ways in several stories, and we're going to learn from them as well. And the applications are rarely direct, right? We live in, uh, we're a different people living in a different world than what they lived in. We are at a different stage of God's work of salvation. Jesus has come. God's plan is now focused on the church all around the world rather than on one particular uh, geographic nation. But there are times when our situations are similar enough that the applications are pretty obvious and sometimes uh, our, our situations are not so, so similar and so we have to look a little bit to find the connections. But here's, here's how we're, we would apply these uh, stories we just looked at today. So, Joshua and the people were called by God to take on a challenge that was beyond their ability, but God promised to help them do it. So, where in your life are you in that kind of a situation? Have you ever felt like God was calling you to do something very difficult I bet you can think of some examples from your own life, but there's also some examples that um, are true for all of us, right? How about when God told you and me that we should go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age? Go and make disciples. What's your part in following that command? Does it require strength and courage? Does it seem difficult, even impossible to do without God's help? This is a place where we are in a similar situation to Joshua, right? God called Joshua and his people to do something beyond their ability, and he's calling us to do something beyond our ability. God has called you to do a great work. But we need God's encouragement, and we need to have strength and courage in order to do it. How about this instruction about our own progress toward spiritual maturity? It says uh, in the book of Philippians, it says, "'One thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus.'" All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. Does that sound easy to you? Does it sound like a challenge that requires strength and courage from God in order to achieve it? You see, God has promised that many people from all over the world will become his disciples, right? And he has promised that he will work in our lives, and help us to grow in spiritual maturity so that we can become more like Him. And yet, just like Joshua, who has promised the land, we need to have strength and courage to follow God's leading and do our part to see God's will done in our lives. And there's other personal examples that are specific to your own lives. Right? We face challenges that God has promised to see us through. But that seems so hard to us that we need His strength and courage to overcome them. Now, we need to be careful at this point because there's a danger here that we might put promises into God's mouth. <laughs> um, sometimes God has not promised you that He will help you to resolve the situation in the way that we want it to be resolved. So we need to know the Bible, and we need to know what God has really promised us. And when we are applying those promises to specific individual circumstances in our lives, we need to be cautious. But God has given us many promises, and His promises are relevant in many areas in our lives and many specific circumstances that we find ourselves in. Another thing that we see about God's promises in today's story is that sometimes God takes a long time to fulfill the things that uh, he has promised to do. God told Abraham he'd give the land to uh, to his descendants, and he did warn him that it wouldn't be right away but I'm pretty sure Abraham would have been pretty surprised to hear, yeah, yeah, it's going to be 600 years. So here's what the Bible says about Abraham and Sarah and and the others from those stories. It says in the book of Hebrews, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. An example of of, uh, something like that that we have all been promised is that we have been promised that Jesus will return at the end of the age, and he will bring about final justice on earth. That promise was made a long time ago, a lot more than 600 years ago, in fact. And Christians have been waiting a long time for Jesus to come back. But just like the people of Israel living in Egypt a generation before Moses Uh, Maybe we are, too, living in that in-between time, and we're waiting for God to fulfill His promise. But the fact that He did make good on that promise to give the land to the descendants of Abraham also shows us uh, that He will fulfill His promise to return as well, even if it takes a long time. And in fact, uh, the Bible talks about this. The Apostle Peter uh, writes about it in one of his biblical letters. He says, Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, and they will say, Where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. All right? Christ is not going to come back. The world just keeps going. There's no end coming. Peter goes on and says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God will keep his promise. He kept his promises to Joshua and he will keep his promises to us. So those are some of the lessons that we can learn from the story of Joshua as he prepares to cross the Jordan into the new land. Um, It's an old story from thousands of years ago, and the details of the story do seem pretty foreign to us, But, but there is still much to learn from these ancient stories of God and his people. So I hope that this introduction to the book of Joshua has increased your desire to study this book more. I hope that you are looking forward to seeing what God has to teach you in these next few weeks because God is calling you to have a deeper faith, to be strong and courageous, and to trust him like never before. And our prayer is that this study of the book of Joshua will inform and inspire you to that deeper, stronger and more courageous faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are a God who is faithful. What you have said, you will accomplish. Lord, we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to apply your promises to the things that happen to us in our lives. And I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to live according to your promises. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.